Well, it is wonderful to see all your beautiful faces here today. Today is a special day here at Evergreen because we will be taking a trip down memory lane and looking back at the ministry of Pastor Bud Palmberg and this church. Some of us here today were there for that journey, and some others, like me, will be encouraged by hearing the great work that God has done here through this church, through Bud, and through this fellowship of believers for the past 60-plus years. As our call to worship this morning, I would like to read one of my favorite scriptures describing the church as God intended it to be. I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We, the church, are the body of Christ, and God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. God has put the body together so that there should be no division, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So here we are. We're the church of 2019, charged with the mission to be salt and light to a world desperate to know God's love and peace. So let us sing together now as one body this prayer that we would see his will done through us, his church. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Uh, my name is Julie Steele. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad you're here worshiping with us on this beautiful sunny day. Now, today, Katie mentioned that today is going to be kind of a different service. We're dedicating our service to the ministry of Pastor Bud Palmberg. We had a memorial service for him several weeks ago, which was honoring his life as a whole. But this morning, we're going to focus more on the ministry that he had here and the impact um, that we are still uh, experiencing from that. You know, it's important to look back and remember because it gives us context as to why we exist now and where God might be leading us in the future. And I realize that a lot of you didn't know Bud very well or maybe not at all, but hopefully this morning is going to give you a greater understanding for why this church has held him in such high esteem and is grateful for the legacy that he has left here. This morning, you're going to hear from six storytellers. Don't panic, I'm not giving a sermon afterwards. Today, who can shed light on different aspects of Bud's ministry. And the goal here, it's not to idolize Bud Palmberg. He would be the first person to warn against that. The goal here is to really give God glory for his call and work in Bud's life, and a call that is still impacting all of us today. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we come before you this morning with bittersweet emotions. We're feeling the acute absence of Pastor Bud, but our hearts are full of joy that he is with you and that we can carry on the legacy that he leaves behind. May each of us be willing to say yes to you like Bud did, so that we too can have an eternal impact with the lives that you have given us. We pray that what we hear this morning will spur us on to be faithful servants with our eyes and hearts set on eternity as Bud's were. 
And we offer this morning and ourselves to you now as we worship you with music and stories and communion. May we be united in spirit with each other and with all your saints who have gone before us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning, our first storyteller is going to be Bob Dings. Come on up, Bob. My name is Bob Dings, and I am not one of the pastors here. <laughs> My wife, Nancy, and I have been members here for 60 years. You will hear today from others who are part of the handful of us that are left from when Bud and Donna first came. The year was 1966. The Seattle area was just beginning to recover from the Boeing bust, and Mercer Island was just beginning to experience its growth as a bedroom community. The Mercer Island Covenant Church consisted of a wooden frame building constructed mostly by its members. One new attendee referred to it as looking like a dentist's office. And then the pastor left, and a search committee was formed to find a new pastor. Some person or persons provided us with a list of potential new pastors with Swedish names for us, us to consider. <laughs> On that list was one Burdett Palmberg, who was characterized by one enthusiastic supporter as the next Billy Graham. At the time, he and Donna were serving a church in Kiwani in western Illinois, so we did not know him at, at all. I was going on a business trip to the East Coast, so I was elected to check him out in person. I stopped in Chicago on the way home, got a rental car, and drove across Illinois to Kiwani in time for Bud's Sunday service. After the service, I introduced myself to the eagle-eyed Donna Jean as Bob Dings like a ding-a-ling, which Donna remembers to this day. The next week, she zealously searched the city to try and find out who I was, totally without success. And so the search committee called Bud. The bad news was that he turned us down. He and Donna were happy in Kiwani, and he felt there was no prompting from the Holy Spirit to move. So we fell back and continued the search process, but the Holy Spirit began working on us to continue the pursuit of him and on him to come to Mercer Island. And so he came in the spring of 1967 in May to Mercer Island in his bright red convertible with Donna, Chrissy, and Jeff. I would note that Bud's red convertible became a frequent object of interest to the Mercer Island police. <laughs> His first Sunday service, we had a big crowd, which must have exceeded 30 people. Bud was a gifted storyteller. His sermons frequently used references to his constituents in the swamps of Alabama, as he called them, to his uncle Liner Palmberg, and to Kiwani member Omer Tedder, who, according to Bud, stuck his head out the window of his car 
in bad weather since he was too cheap to buy wiper blades. We suggested that he merely number some of his stories so we could have shorter sermons. One of Bud's experiments was called Layman's Viewpoint, which was an open mic period in the Sunday service meant to address prayer needs. But we held our breath to see what would come out of people's mouths. Sometimes it was uplifting and sometimes it was disaster, sometimes a political speech. The Holy Spirit really blessed Bud's ministry since the Sunday attendance increased from the 30th first Sunday to sometimes 500 people. Somebody here said this morning 800, somewhere like between five and eight. He became the de facto primary evangelical voice of the East Side at that point in time. He also attracted many young Seattle Pacific students to Sunday service. My memory, sitting over there, was that many pews of SPU students In the five years between May of 1967 to 1972, the membership increased to the point that we were able to begin and build the present facility with out-of-pocket cash and no mortgage. Bud was very involved in the design of this building with Bill Polk, an architect member. On a personal note, Bud has been very close to our family. He baptized our children and buried one. He married both of our living children and one of our grandchildren and baptized two of our grandchildren. My wife Nancy and I will miss Bud as a dear friend, pastor and neighbor. May there be peace to his memory. Thank you. sermons. Sometimes they went a little long. Uh, when we built this building, you, you'll notice we have this space up above here. And it was suggested that uh, what we would do would be to put a pulley and a rope up there and pull him right out of the puppet when he over-talked over on his sermons. <laughs> also, Bob, I, here's a funny thing too. Bob mentioned uh, that red convertible. Well, you know, when Bud showed up here at Mercer Island, he had a reasonable head of hair. But later on, down the line, a number of years, he wound up all of a sudden with a full head of hair. And uh, we used to give him a little ribbing about that. Turned out one of the members of the congregation was in that business and made him a hairpiece. So we used to give Bud a little bad time about that. One time at this church, we had three pastors on staff, Bud, Steve Sprunger, and Ron Wedeking. And all three of them were bald. And all three of them had hair pieces made by the same fellow. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't know. I think he must have felt sorry for him or something. I don't know. Anyhow, that was good. My name is Don Clark. I want to uh, thank Julie for inviting me here today. Uh, I uh, am amazed at how time flies and how time marches on. 
Here we are, uh, 2019. Anita, my wife, and I became members of this church in 1971. That's 48 years ago. So we've, I've witnessed close to 50 years of progress, of development, of evolving of this church in the ministry here on Mercer Island. And it's been a wonderful thing to see, and it's all been nurtured and guided by Bud Palmberg. Somebody said uh, that our early, serv early services were very small of a few people. Uh, and my understanding of it was at times in three services, we would hit 800 people. I remember it was mentioned Jim Merrick uh, here too. Uh, Jim was a, was a long time elder in this church. And I remember him telling me that uh, he had it, it heard that Bud was sent out here pretty much to either get this church off the ground and flourishing or shut it down. And of course you see what happened, it flourished. In 1973, I became the chairman of the Elder Board, uh, and the first uh, issue that came my way was the fact that Bud Palmberg was thinking about leaving Mercer Island. And of course, there was a big panic, particularly on my part, because we were just beginning to, to skyrocket in attendance. We were just beginning to build this congregation to a great, a great thing. But he had been offered the uh, chance to be the director or the uh, man in charge of the uh, evangelism department of the Evangelistic Covenant Church of America, and that meant if he took it, he would go to Chicago and leave here. So uh, a number of us talked to him and uh, tried to convince him not to do it, but he said his words were, well, you know, a man has to stretch. And so he was considering it. But, you know, he didn't consider it very long, and we didn't persuade him very, very much either because he wouldn't have left here. He wouldn't have gone. His heart and his soul and his being was in this church, and his concern was for the people here at Mercer Island, and he, and he would have been here, I, I'm sure, for you know, as long as he could, which he was. Uh, it was a great thing to see that, and the church flourished from there and just grew. Uh, well, as it was growing by leaps and bounds, it was quite evident that we needed to have a new church plant here, uh, a, new, a new sanctuary and a new building. And so we embarked upon it, as you've heard from Bob. Uh, and Bud was so involved in this. His finger was on every detail of the building of this church, along with Bill Polk, the architect. Uh, if you will get a chance sometime, go around and look at the intricate brickwork on some of the tiles and so on that are uh, in, the, in the brickwork and in the carvings in the woodwork around because they have a lot of the symbolism of, of Christianity and the symbolism of the Covenant Church. This very configuration of this sanctuary here, uh, which is, as you notice, is in, a, is in a, a round as opposed to a nave type. The reason for that is it prevent, provides communion and uh, fellowship and uh, closeness one to another. And this was part of what Butt brought to this church, and uh, he just was on it all the time. It was said, I understand, that when he was out of town and came back to Mercer Island, he didn't go home first. He came right here to Mercer Island Church to see how it was progressing, to see how it was going, to see if it was uh, uh, being built according to his standards, I guess. And then I remember that great day. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon, I, I seem to remember. It's hard for me to remember things these days, but uh, I think it was a, a, a beautiful Sunday afternoon like this. And I stood here at this very place, right here, 
and received the uh, keys, official keys, to this beautiful sanctuary from Bob Dings, the chairman of the building committee. It was a great time, and this church flourished. You know, I, this is summertime, and it's baseball season. And I think of Yankee Stadium, and they said that's the house that Babe Ruth built. And here in Seattle, we have uh, the stadium, the T-Mobile Stadium where the Mariners play, which they say was the house that Ken Griffey Jr. built. But here on Mercer Island, we have this great house of worship. We have this great house of ministry. We have this wonderful church, and I think it can well be said that this is the house that Bud Palmberg built. Thank you, Bud, for your faithful ministry to this church over all these years. You know, I heard it said that his father, Bud's father, at his time of ordination said to him, Son, preach the word. Preach the word. And that's what Bud Palmer did. And that's why this church has flourished and become Evergreen Covenant Church, the place that it is today. <laughs> oh, I'm Mary Strom, and I'm very competitive. And so we have been here, Don and I, over 60 years. <laughs> Yay! Pastor Bud and Donna, as you've heard, arrived at MICC in 1967. Two years later, as the church was growing, it purchased a large three-bed three-bedroom ranch house from the Jewish synagogue, which was used for Pastor Bud's office, secretarial staff, and meetings. And it was located in the back, in the parking lot in the back. And I got to be there and hear wonderful stories from Bud. But I, Donna was part-time secretary with me. And uh, the equipment was not as great as uh, computers are now. We had ink that we'd had get all over our hands and face and sometimes, uh, and we would make the bulletins and things would not turn out too good. But anyway, <laughs> compared to what is being used today like a computer, it wasn't, it wasn't great. With that said, I really enjoyed working with both Pastor Bud and Donna at the church. George Duff uh, and his family uh, moved here from Detroit one year after the Palmbergs arrived. And George uh, came to Seattle to become the chairman of the Seattle Chamber of Commerce. Pastor Bud appreciated his counsel as the church was growing. I'm gonna be reading a little bit for the sake of time. So the story that I would like to tell you ties into the scriptures from Ephesians 4.3. Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Eldon Rogers, this is a story, was active years ago in the Democratic Party in Olympia, Washington. He walked into church, the church lobby one Sunday, and he spotted Bill Polk, who was then active as a Republican leader in Olympia also. Eldon said to Pastor Bud, what is that guy doing here? I've been trying to run him out of office in Olympia. Buzz, Buzz's answer was, Eldon, Bill is a fellow believer. 
and I want you two to meet with each other. I believe that was a turning point in their relationship. And Bill Polk was here in the earlier service. So, as you know, Pastor Bud and Donna have many spiritual gifts. These gifts are prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, are spoken about in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. The purpose of these gifts is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for edifying the body of Christ. Pastor Bob was a gifted pastor and preacher. As my husband Don over here would say, you cannot sit under Pastor Bud's preaching very long without making a decision about Jesus Christ one way or another. Pastor Bud was also a man of prayer, and that prayer is of my heart. That ministry is so beautiful. And along with Jim Merrick, who was the chairman of the church, Jim and Pastor Bud prayed together before each worship service every Sunday for 26 years. The lamplighter was started as soon as Bud and Donna arrived and was sent to members once a month. We had no internet at that time. Layman's viewpoint began in the old sanctuary, as was stated by Bob. The congregation could voice their concerns, prayer requests, current happenings in their lives during an appointed time in the service. To growth, uh, church growth, to grow the, ch the youth, Donna started Pioneer Girls, and George Duff and Art Ricewig led the boys' stockade. These middle schoolers met for seven years. Pastor taught confirmation classes for the youth for two-year sessions. Young life groups and college students from Seattle Pacific College started attending our church in large numbers. The 1970s brought growth, and when the old sanctuary was filled, the overflow would go into the fireside room where we had closed-circuit audio. Church membership classes were held in Bud and Donna's home once a week for four weeks. Vacation Bible School introduced many young people and families into church, and it also, uh, Donna made my husband do something funny, and he'll share. Kathy Thompson Adams started Covenant Women, and it still meets every week. Dr. Edie Phillips started training classes for lay counselors, and each person that wanted to be a lay counselor had to have an MMPI test in order to qualify. After completion of training, uh, counselors became available to the church members and also to the community. Church members and friends had refreshing times with weekend speakers at then Covenant Beach in Des Moines, Washington. Also, Circle C was a popular trail bike camp in Leavenworth. And many members enjoyed camping together for years, uh, to over 20 years, at Lake Perigen in Winthrop, Washington. God has blessed. He has blessed us greatly as a family, a church family with many gifted people who, who love Jesus. Pastor Bud and Donna were a big part of equipping the saints for the work of ministry and for edifying the body of Christ during the 26 years of their ministry in the church. 
In conclusion, I would like to end by saying that four of our family members received Jesus into their hearts. My parents who have gone on and my brother and, and the friendship ministry of Pastor Bon and Donna did much for them and their lives. So today, my, ch my two, three, ch three children were here in the first service and Mary, my daughter, is here now. And they were here because of their love and support of Pastor Bud and Donna. Thank you very much. You know, I was thinking, we've been in this church for over 60 years. And I got to thinking, why did we come here? When I left, got discharged from the Army, my mother said, you know, I think you ought to try the Covenant Church. So that's why we're here. Donna, I want to thank you for the honor to let me say a few words about this dear man that I grew to love. Julie? After Bob Dings visited Pastor Bud in Illinois, and after several no's from Bud, we ever get Pastor Bud out to Mercer Island for proof preaching. The church was about 35 members. And after the sermon, I remember going in the kitchen and talking to Dr. John Dawson. John looked at me and said, we will never get him. I believe that Pastor Bud looked at us and said to himself, these folks need help. <laughs> we were a real challenge. My son Bob and I were down in the church parking lot one afternoon and Bud Pastor drove up in his beautiful red convertible car. My son Bob was about 10 years old and he loved that car. Pastor Bud walked over to him and said, do you want to drive the car? With that, he opened the door and said to my son, Bob, get in. To say the least, that made a great impression on my son. At that time, the pastor became our when Pastor Bud became our pastor, I was not a Christian. Pastor Bud never judged me, nor made me feel unwelcome. His preaching would not let you sit on top of a fence. You either had to get off or you either had to believe or not to believe. I finally surrendered at a Billy Graham luncheon that I got invited to in Seattle. When we hired Pastor Bud, we also got Donna thrown in. Part of Don's gift uh, was to get certain people to do crazy things in order to advertise our church. I was unable to say no to any of Donna's requests. And sometimes when she would call home, I said, Mary, if that's Donna, tell her I'm not here. <laughs> One day I got dressed up in a clown in shorts and looked like a total idiot. And Donna was dressed in a muumuu. And we walked into Mayfair Department Store advertising Vacation Bible School. Vacation, uh, May, Mayfair now is where, uh, Mayfair Department Store now is where Rite Aid is located today. That was just many of the many things that Donna did to help our church grow. In our church, there were several families that were fishing, into fishing, camp, skiing, camping, dirt biking. And of course, we talked Pastor Bud and Deirdre Hussain, some of these sports. 
One of them was skiing. One time, Pastor Bud was skiing and was using the rope toes and decided that he would try the chairlift. Well, in order to get another ride, if you're single, usually you call out single to get another rider to go up the chairlift with you. Well, as Bud got near the lift, somebody said single. And he looked at him and says, no, I'm married with two children. <laughs> My daughter Mary was about 11 years old at the time and Bud's comment made a lasting impression on her. Pastor Bud also went dirt biking with several of us in the church. One time when there was a, a week of dirt bike camp at Circle C Ranch in Leavenworth, that was a beautiful camp we had near, a, a rough camp that we had in Leavenworth. Pastor Bud was also the pastor for that week, but you know, Pastor Bud, he also wanted to ride a dirt bike. So we borrowed one from Jack Beal, who's a 250 cc bike, and they asked me to go through the bike and make sure that it was in pretty good shape. Well, as it turned out, that wasn't such a smart decision. At the camp, the boys and buds were, were heading down the dirt road and uh, on their bikes, and there was a curb in the road, and the throttle on Bud's bike froze. Well, Pastor Bud was going too fast to make the curve. So he landed up in a beautiful crash in the trees. Because Pastor Bud was so actively involved with the boys, several of them made Christ, accepted Jesus Christ as their savior at the end of the camp. There are many stories we could write about Baumberg family, and I will just close with two. One night when Bud was walking the streets of Seattle late at night at Nightwatch, which you will hear right after me, his car was broken into. I do not recall all the items that were stolen, but I do remember that Pastor Bud's cassette tapes were stolen. What I love about this story is that his cassette tapes contained his sermons. <laughs> I hope and pray that these messages had an impact on the thief's life. On Sunday morning, one Sunday morning, Pastor did not arrive at the church for the early service. Jim Merrick called the pastor, and some of you know Jim Merrick, he had his special ways, and his quiet voice said, Pastor, are you gonna join us this morning? Pastor Bud and Donna's alarm clock did not go off, and Bud made it to the church just in time to preach. <laughs> well, Pastor Bud would always end our church service with these words from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 and 26. The Lord, boy. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Good morning. My name's Ann Sakaguchi. I'm the deputy director at Operation Night Watch where I've been for 16 years. 
When I first started, I learned that the Reverend Bud Palmberg is the founder of Nightwatch. But I had to ask, how did the ministry begin? Many of you may know how Nightwatch began, but perhaps some of you, like me, 16 years ago, don't know. So if you already know, I hope you'll indulge me for a few moments. It was the fall of 1967, not long after Bud and Donna came to Mercer Island Covenant. At that time, the congregation numbered about 30. Young Pastor Bud was asked to help locate a runaway son of a parishioner. His search led him to a house on Seattle's Capitol Hill, where he found Rick. Now, some of Bud's stories are captured on recorded interviews, and he tells the story of Rick, who had been living in a stairwell in San Francisco's Tenderloin. Rick had dropped acid and had a bad trip. Here are Bud's own words. Rick said, I was hurting, psychotic pain. I had to pass it on. So he came up out of that stairwell and saw a man in a clerical collar. Rick said, I had to hurt him. I could say anything I want to this man, and he isn't going to beat me up. I tore into everything this man stood for called him every name I could think of, referred to the Virgin Mary in the most vulgar way, and about the church as well. When I got done, I expected the man to consign me to hell or hit me. Instead, the man reached out to me, put his hand on my shoulder, and said, Son, you're really hurting, aren't you? Want to talk about it? Rick's life changed that day in San Francisco. When he returned to Seattle, he challenged Bud to gather ministers to do this on the streets of Seattle. To do this, to listen, to comfort people, to be the presence of Jesus on the streets. Bud did gather ministers, and so Operation Nightwatch began. Nightwatch sends ministers out on the streets still today. Pastor Rick Reynolds, our executive director, is one of three street ministers on staff. There's an army of volunteers, both clergy and lay people, to supplement our paid staff. Building relationships with hurting, hungry people on the streets, in bars, in tents, in encampments with lots of tents, on tiny houses. This is street ministry, and this is the foundation of Nightwatch. Since that beginning in 1967, Nightwatch has continued to respond to the needs of people, those living outside on the margins, people who have lost hope. The need for a safe place indoors to spend the night was quickly identified. Nightwatch provides overnight shelter still today every night. While waiting for assignment to a shelter, our homeless guests are offered a hot meal. Through donations of food and the loving hands of volunteers, this happens every night of the year. This congregation has been faithful for decades. To prepare a meal, serve it monthly, and you'll be hearing from Bill O'Brien right after this. Ministry to Seniors began in 1999 
when Nightwatch found themselves homeless themselves, displaced from their own home in Belltown. A building was purchased that included dormitory-style rooms. Today, 24 formerly homeless seniors find home, and in many cases, their last home. These are in the simple rooms at Nightwatch. All these ministries grew out of Bud Palmberg's faith. He listened to the call of God and ventured across the lake to help a family find their son. For over 50 years, literally, thousands of people, thousands of lives have been touched by the work that Bud began. People have found places to sleep safely. They have been served nutritious food. They have been loved. They have been listened to. They've been heard, and many have found hope. On behalf of the thousands, thank you, Bud Palmberg. May we all continue the work you began in a manner worthy of the foundation that you set. Can you hear his voice? Son, you're really hurting, aren't you? Want to talk about it? Thanks be to God. Like Ann said, um, Operation Night Watch has affected and impacted thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. I estimate at least a million meals have been uh, provided. Um, and when Julie asked me if I would uh, speak a little bit to what it means to carry this baton on that uh, Bud started, um, I just want to recognize that it's been carried on uh, by many, many faithful folks, like Rick Brown, uh, the Cassans, John and Polly, and of course Ross. Just to name a few, there's been a lot. Um, the Operation Night Watch Baton is in great hands now. Um, we have faithful servants like Ron and Peggy, Gordy, Peter, Justin, and there's many other people that are willing to step up um, when the need arises. There's definitely no shortage of volunteers for this ministry, and I believe this is because it is Bud's spirit. Bud created a safe and holy place, a place for people to be able to come in, not be judged, to get fed, to find shelter. And uh, one of the things in talking with Bud about Operation Night Watch is he shared with me that Everybody gets cold. Everybody gets hungry. And then when we're serving our less fortunate brothers and sisters, we're being the hands and feet of God. And that we're sharing God's love. A well-prepared meal and a smile and just knowing that people care and that you're not forgotten is very important. We're all familiar with Matthew 25, 35 through 40, but it's so true and applicable I just want to read it. This is from the English Standard Version. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered them, Truly I say unto you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it unto me. Operation Night Watch affects and just impacts people's lives in a way that, um, as a Christian and a representative of this congregation, it makes me proud to keep going. Um, I'm humbled at the amount of positive impact Bud has had and this organization, and I'm honored to do my small part in keeping this ministry moving forward until someone else is willing to take the baton. So in that, again, thank you, Bud, and thank all of you for your support in this ministry. Thank you, Bill. That was really great to hear from you as someone who is present and looking to the future. This morning, we have heard about the role that Bud played primarily in our past, but as Bill shared, it's an example of how the past has shaped our present ministry and will continue to. You know what was so amazing about Bud? It was something that we all can do. It's really simple. Bud said yes. Is there a ministry or a need that maybe you need to respond to yes to God like Bud did? God is calling each of us to continue what he started through Bud. Bud's life verse was Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not as to man. My hope is that Evergreen is going to move into the future with the same faithfulness that has been modeled for us and talked about this morning through these storytellers. That all that we do here we do for the Lord. If we follow in Bud's footsteps, working with all our heart, wanting only to please God, as this verse says, we can expect God to continue meaningful ministry here in this church that will impact generations to come. I thought it would be fitting in light of our celebrating Bud's ministry this morning as we end our series in Revelation that we gather around the communion table the book of Revelation is not about prophecy or symbolism as much as it is about the revelation of Jesus Christ given to the Apostle John. Bud now has the full revelation of Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. And I'm kind of jealous that Bud now knows the meaning of that creature coming out of the sea with the seven heads and ten horns and horns of crowns and all of the lampstands and all of the things that we've been reading about in this book, and we just are kind of scratching our heads. He's not scratching his head anymore. He knows. It's said that Holy Communion is a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that we all are going to enjoy together in the future, and that means with Bud. The Lord's Supper is not simply a matter of past and present, a memorial calling us to remember what Christ has done for us, and also a means of grace of spiritual sustenance for the present. It also points us forward to what is to come. Jesus is 
the bread of communion for all of us. It is the sacrament of his body, and through it we receive his presence by faith. Here and now we anticipate the heavenly banquet where we will someday feast with Jesus and with all those who have gone before us and we love. You see, the task of the church is to bring as many people to that banquet as we can. And that is what Bud did. And so this morning, we come to the table remembering what Christ has done for us, being grateful for his presence with us, and we look forward to his return with a new heaven and the new earth. The book of Revelation is referred to as the book of end times. However, it's really a book of new beginnings. Listen to these verses from Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of life of water, water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve with him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This future reality is what we can joyfully anticipate as we celebrate this meal with Jesus, has prepared to remind us of what is to come. This morning, we are coming to the table to celebrate communion. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. Many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south to sit at the table in God's kingdom. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites all who trust him to share the feast that he has prepared. According to Luke, when the risen Lord was at the table with his disciples and he broke the bread and gave it to them, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They had a revelation. This morning, as we prepare to participate in communion, we are going to recite together a prayer of confession. So please join me as the words will be on the screen as we say this together corporately as Christ's body. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Church, here is the good news. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can come together to this table as we anticipate the greater table, the heavenly banquet that we will all be able to partake in with Bud and all those who have gone before us.
We pray now that you will take these ordinary elements and you will make them extraordinary by your grace so that they may nourish us spiritually for the journey ahead. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Servers, please come forward. This morning, we will take communion. You will come up the center aisles here. We have two stations. This one is gluten-free for those who need that. And you will come take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and either take it right there, or you can go back to your seat and take it there. Please hear the words of institution. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You may come as you are ready. <laughs> 